Morning. Not you, Eddie. <laughs> uh, I brought some brilliant friends with me, Cyril and Emily, and they're going to share in a minute. Um, uh, and they're just going to tell you a bit of their story. But uh, just love that we get to serve alongside you. Um, you know we're part of a wider group of churches called Commission. And uh, a family of churches, probably about 50 or 60 in the UK, and probably more like a couple of hundred across a variety of nations. Um, and it's part of what it is to be God's family expressed, uh, and what it is to serve one another and love one another, stand with people and strengthen you. So I know you've heard me say this before, but we pray for you. We pray for you in Basingstoke that you'll, your hand will be strengthened, that the gospel will extend, that you will know God's favour and leading and wisdom and provision uh, because we delight in this church. Uh, and it's Jesus' idea and it was an act of radical obedience on uh, John and La um, uh, to sort of imagine that they would move and then move again. And, uh, and I think that is part of what it is to be followers of Christ is that we follow. And uh, in that following, then Becky and Phil felt the call. And then I'm chatting to Bronwyn and, and I'm hearing about how she got drawn. And then Eddie and Brenda have been pulled in. And, and then I'm bumping into you and you're from Winchester, aren't you? You were. And I'm just remembering everything. And you go, isn't it interesting how just all these stories of life getting pulled together and you go, this is providential that God is gathering uh, a body of missionaries that understand what it is to carry the purposes of God into this town for this generation. And so uh, it's just wonderful to be here at this stage. And as you were saying, Bronwyn, it's just like such an impre- such a wonderful stage to be it, here at this moment in the birth of a church as it emerges. But I'd love Cyril and Emily just to tell their story a little bit and just to share something of what God's doing with them. And I'll, I'll leave them to sort of share their story. <laughs> Go for it. Nice, thanks. Uh, I'm Cyril. This is Emily. Hiya. We, uh, so we've known Martin for, I don't know, a year? Year and a half? Yeah. Year and a half. Um, so a little bit of background. I, uh, when I became a Christian, when I was 14, 15, um, I knew then that I wanted to go into the ministry. I didn't really understand what that meant, but that's kind of been my, my guiding light in the last 15 years or so. Um, and so, anyway, <clears throat> about five years ago, we started going to a church in Sidcup that Eddie and I've forgotten your wife's name. Brenda. Brenda, no well. And uh, I went on staff there and started looking after their youth. Um, I did that for a few years, but in the last year or so, we recognised that God was moving us on. Um, we didn't realise how many lessons he was trying to teach us. We thought he was basically trying to teach the church some lessons. It turns out a lot of it was about us as well. But, you know, hindsight. Um, so at the time I was doing a theology course and I knew Ed, um, do you guys know Ed? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. a lovely man. Uh, anyway, I knew Ed through that course and he said, oh, there's a, there's a job going, at, um, would you consider it to, to do the youth at, at Mosaic? And so I said, at first I said, no, not really, thanks very much. Thanks, but no thanks. But then I met with Ed and I got to know the church a little bit and I thought, oh, maybe this could work. Maybe this is where God's leading us. Um, anyway, as we talked with Martin and Ed more, um, Actually, we thought this probably isn't quite the right fit, um, but we were in the kind of in this in the stage of change. We were looking for what the next thing was, and Martin said to us, "So oh, why don't you just move and join the church?" And we said, "That's a lovely idea, Martin. We'll pop that on the shelf because it's mental." Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, that's kind of where we were last 
February, March time. Yeah, and bearing in mind, so we were about 12 weeks pregnant at that point, so it just, in our minds, made absolutely no sense to move somewhere away from all of our friends and family and our church when we were about to have a baby. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we kind of, we had shelved it really for practical reasons. We were like, it doesn't make practical sense for us to mm. move only an hour and 15 minutes down the road. But, you know, in our minds, it was like being called to Nepal or something. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm basically saying the Nepal of, of the West. <laughs> So, um, so I don't know what we did then, actually. What did we do? Did we look around for other jobs? Did, what I think was... you applied, yeah, so Cyril applied for a job. It was interesting because Cyril's family are very much like, right, you just need to go and like lead a church and be a pastor. And so we were like, well, we'll just push some doors. So you applied for a job at um, Assemblies of God Church in Tunbridge Wells, yeah. which we, I think we got down to the final two and then we backed out because we realised that we, couldn't, we didn't quite agree theologically with everything. Um, and so, yeah, we were kind of just, you know, pushing different doors, weren't we? Yeah, we were pushing a lot of doors that were more comfortable. <laughs> we were like, this is an actual job, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense as to what we think where we might be called to. Yeah. Uh, Tunbridge is just down the road, it's close to your parents. Yeah. So, we were, in hindsight, we were lacking a lot of faith at the time. Um, and uh, anyway, the, the, the kind of, the months went on and we were kind of still in contact with Martin and we told him various things, but we didn't really know what was going on either. We, we had no idea what was going on. Um, but we came to a point where um, it was a couple of weeks before Caleb was going to be born and I was reading the story of Noah and I realised, oh, we live in the blessing of Noah's obedience, but in the last year we weren't trying to serve God so that we would be a blessing to others. We were trying to serve God so that we would you know, fulfill our goals, albeit Christian goals, but, but ministry had kind of become a goal. It was a safety in my life, and it wasn't really a faith journey anymore. It was just, oh, well, I'm Christian, I want to tell people about Jesus, so obviously this is the way to go. But we weren't really listening to God at all. And in that moment, I was like, oh, if we, if we served God to be a blessing to others, then maybe Basing Soap makes a lot more sense, because that does seem to be somewhere that God is, is leading us and somewhere that God's moving our hearts to. But all the while, my, my family were against it. Emily's family are very English. They're very nice. They're also not Christian. They're also not Christian. So they never really say a word against you, but you can tell by their eyebrows. That they're, not, <laughs> they're not really for you. Um, but, but, you know, they're supportive in a lovely way. Um, so no one was for us, and our church thought it was just us being a bit mental. They thought, well, this isn't God. You're just being a bit emotional. You're trying to run away. Um, and so there was no one really for us um, at all. But then I was going to a prayer, I decided to step off youth work and I was going to a prayer meeting and the, just a few guys of us that used to meet and they were praying for me. And um, do you want to set your bearers to tell them the story? Well, yeah, I mean, you were there. I was there. Yeah. But I tend to embellish things. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, so the prophetic word was about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and he just had a sense that some, well, it was you, it was praying for you that Cyril had been called to obedience but had kind of argued it away for pragmatic reasons, like it didn't make sense. And so I think you and one other guy knew about Basingstoke and you were like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's Basingstoke. But the other guy, who's a really good friend of ours, was like, nah, not Basingstoke, don't want you to go there. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, yeah, I think that's when, that was more or less the moment where we're like, okay, I think we need to set our faces to Basingstoke. So we kind of wrote a list of reasons why Basingstoke might be a good idea, stuck it up on our kitchen wall, which was awkward when people came round who didn't have a clue. They were like, 
Wait, why is that on the wall? We're like, uh, uh, it's just a place. <laughs> it's just a place. <laughs> Needs a lot of prayer. Yeah. So um, yeah. So we kind of did that. But then, so that was in the July, and then we still were just lacking faith. We were like, oh, we'll just keep pushing all the doors. So we then applied for a job in Sheffield. And Martin was just like, what is going <laughs> yeah, on? Yeah. Because by this time, we told Martin that we were going to come, and then we were visiting the church. And we we're like, oh, by the way, I've applied to be a chaplain in Sheffield, at a public school there. And he was like, right, you're an idiot. <laughs> He didn't say it in that many words, but it was, you know, it was in the eyebrows. So, um, so we really, again, we were lacking. We just didn't want to take that step of faith. We thought we wanted yeah. to, but there was a lot of fear in us. Um, yeah. and, and that door closed in Sheffield. And it was when that door closed, I was like, oh, that was a test that we massively failed. <laughs> that was God saying, oh, you know, I called you to the basis. They were like, yes, what about this? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go there instead. Thank you very much. Um, so God was teaching us faithfulness in a very kind, very gentle way. Um, but slowly drawing us out of London, out of our comfort zone, and toward Basingstoke. And so Christmas came, um, and we're like, right, we've got to go to Basingstoke. By this time, I was self-employed doing handyman stuff, and I'd retrained as a plumber. Um, and it was just as we started making moves, so we started looking for a house, um, I started applying for jobs, and God just lined everything up. Everything that we needed, God gave. So he gave me a job that I wasn't qualified for, and I'm still not qualified for. But I've got a boss, I've got a boss that wanted to give me an interview because she saw my name was Cyril. And I was like, I don't know, you should be in management. <laughs> but God has used you to bless me. <laughs> so, so, um, so God has just been so faithful in getting us here and giving yeah. us a house. The house is mental as well. So my, I, a friend of mine um, was moving at the time, and she was like, oh... You know, we, we prayed for our house and we prayed really specific things. So they live in the US and she wanted two floors because she's from Britain and, and that's really rare over there. But God provided on all of these things. So I kind of half-heartedly was like, oh, yeah, I know that God can provide, but mm, I'm, like, I'm nervous in case I get disappointed. So we kind of wrote a list of like essentials and then like, oh, it would be nice if, you know, there was parking and a garage or whatever. And then God just provided in such a miraculous way, our landlords are Christians, and um, we'd actually spoken to them, like it, you'd spoken to them like a year previously, and um, yeah, it just came about in such a crazy way, and they decided to go with us, um, even though they got an offer that was like £150 more than what we could afford. Um, and yeah, and it, it's pretty much, mm -hmm. I think, everything on the list that we were like, Oh, this would be amazing, and it, it is, and it's it's a home where we can have people and and um, bless them, which is what we like, really have a heart for as yeah. well. But I think the biggest thing that, that God's done is He's changed our hearts. He's 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 refreshed our hearts and love for Him and the lost, which had become very cold and had become a little bit formulaic our Christianity. And like in this job, I've never. I've never had such an opportunity to speak to people about Christian Christianity. And there's a guy I'm working with um, who sounds quite similar to Eddie you know, in his previous life. Who used to run a firm of brickies and he's a very rough man. But there's just been so many opportunities to give him the gospel. And I, was, I told him this week, a couple of weeks ago, I was praying for him and his son who's, who's, who's just made a mess of his life. And I told him, oh, God gave me a word about saving your son. But you have to, you have to go to God first and ask him. You, you have to want God to be involved in this. And John is a very soft man who's punched a lot of people. <laughs> and, you know, broken a lot of bones. But God just has, has placed me there and given me such an opportunity and such a love for him that I've never had for anyone before. And it's just amazing how actually God knows the desires of our hearts. And it wasn't necessarily a job and a house, but it was to give us people that we could, we could genuinely be a witness to and genuinely... And you've made, again, loads of non-Christian friends through 
mum stuff that wasn't happening in Orpington. And so yeah. he's just really provided what he knew we needed, and then those little safe things to show us that actually God was in this. Oh, I'm going to give you a house so that you know that I'm actually in this with you, but he's, he's just provided the things that he knows that we need to, to grow in him. And uh, yeah, so we're really excited to see how he leads us on. Yeah, and our current joke is, you know, what if like God moved us to Basingstoke just for that, for that one um, yeah. guy, it, John, it? like, it'd be John worth it. It is that story of God seeking and saving the lost. Yeah, yeah. 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 so, um, so um, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. <laughs> Uh, you'll see Cyril and Emily again soon. They'll be back and um, they'll be joining you. And pre- yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you just said move in with Eddie and Brenda, yeah. Um, but I, I, it's a joy just to be part of their journey and what they're doing. And uh, it's an honour and a privilege to be part of that. And, but God is a way of expanding his mission and moving his people and putting faith in them and... Uh, and it's the radical obedience of hearing God and doing what he says. And, and it, it's, it's something that is so important that is right in at the very DNA of this church is that obedience matters. That even walking the hard way, walking the hard road uh, and doing in fundamental terms, doing as you're told by, the, by your Lord. <laughs> because we aren't in a, uh, a relationship of equity like he is completely other to us. This is not a relationship of equals, is it, with our Jesus? No. Like, he is Lord and Saviour, and he is kind and he is good, but he is true, and he, when he speaks, we listen and we follow. That's why we're called followers of the way, as we've been so wonderfully told. And so I want us to carry on in our series that we're preaching in Acts, and I'm going to be looking into Acts 3, 11 through to 26, and uh, I'm going to read that in a moment But we're looking at Jesus the prophet and we're going to understand a little bit more of the significance of what it is to uh, for Jesus to be known and referred to as the prophet. Um, And so I've called this truth in a progressive age with no end game. Uh, The world in which we live, it defines itself as progressive, but there is no end. There's no sense of where it's going. Uh, And. We, we, we sense that this, is a, this has been known as a post-truth era, where truth is irrelevant, it's, it's, it's personal, it's, it's, it's not transcendental anymore, it's not held by someone or something as an authority, it's, it's from the ground up and it's all made up as we go along. And so we're going to see what truth is, and more than just an ideological concept, who the person is. And so I'm going to read from Acts 3. And it says this. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. Someone just got healed, by the way. And they came running to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though you, he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. This is a crowd pleasing message, you can tell. 
You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It was Jesus' name and in the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophet, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised from long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, and this is where we'll dive in a bit deeper, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to him and everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have before, uh, foretold these days. And you are the heirs and the prophets of the covenant of God, which your fathers, he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So, Lord Jesus, we just want to come to your word uh, and we just want your spirit to apply truth to us today, for us to sit under your word, to sit under your voice, to sit under the power of your spirit, enlivening us, Lord Jesus. And we just want to know what it is that you are speaking to us about. And we want to be faithful followers that obey when we hear the word of God, but we obey. Amen. <clears throat> and so... Uh, we, evidently, we live in a society which believes that we're progressing. We would define ourselves as a liberal, progressing society um, that pursues equality, justice and freedom. And the church would share so many of those stated aims. Absolutely. Uh, but whilst the church shares so many of those desires, the issue boils down to, but who is defining what is good and evil? Who, is in, who defines what is equality, what is justice, what is freedom? And in the West and in Europe in particular, there have been three particular eras. There was the pre-Christian era, sort of like the Celtics and the Norse tribes. Before the gospel, lots of local deities and their own, their own kind of morality. You had the Christian era, uh, where the gospel comes and it moves in and it Christ this Christianized the, 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 the nations. Uh, in a way that there was not so much that it was uh, a thing as a Christian culture per se, but that it was more Christianized as a result. There was Christian norms that meant people were moving towards Jesus. And the era we live in now, which is post-Christian, an attempt to move beyond Christianity, but keep a lot of the scaffolding. We like a lot of the good bits that Christianity left behind. We do like a value of equality and justice and freedom, but we don't want the heart or the reason why we got to that place. And so we want to move on. Yuval Harari, a, a, um, a, a, a sociologist in his book Sapiens, considers human rights a Christian myth. He says, if we live within a society that is dog eat dog, which is survival of the fittest, human rights is a myth. It gets in the way. The only reason we have human rights isn't because of paganism. It's because of the Christian doctrine of love your neighbour. 
and we live within a society that lives on the, in the good of a Christian heritage. But he's saying it's a, it's a myth that needs to be shot, shot away. Because it is fundamentally, he's calling it out. He's saying it's intellectually incongruent with the worldview of the survival of the fittest. And so this post-Christian phase is a reaction against the Christian culture. We're saying we want the good bits, but we don't want Jesus. We want to assert ourselves as the final authority. But where is this end game of a post-Christian vision? When do we know we've arrived? Someone's always telling us that we're not there yet. But there's no sense of where, when do we arrive? How will we get there? What will love, good, evil, hate? How do we define these without a transcendent source of moral authority? Because that's the project we're in at the moment. It's trying to define all of those things without a transcendent moral authority. We want to disconnect from God, but define these things for ourselves. It's not going well. <laughs> so what is our biblical worldview, a vision for the world that is more beautiful, true and good? How is what we have good news in a society that wants to disconnect, wants to be post-Christian? How is it capable of bearing up under the weight of the expectations and the burdens and needs? These are big challenges and questions that we as the Christian church in Swindon have to wrestle with because we sit within it working for its good and its renewal. We want to see Swindon beautiful and healthy and whole. We want the things that uh, the liberal left are saying they want, equality, justice and freedom, but... They don't know how to get there or even what the foundation is underneath those things. We do. And so we want to bear and make this place more beautiful and safe and whole and fundamentally connected and reconnected to Jesus. But humanity has always had a loose relationship with truth. It's often quite convenient. Yuval Harari goes on and says, truth has never been high on the agenda of homo sapiens. It's about what's convenient. It's what is about is effective. And so we live within a context that there's a stark difference between the culture and the Christ that we love. And uh, there's never maybe a better time to see and proclaim the supremacy of Christ. Because that's what we get to do by the way in which we live and love our neighbours. We declare and evidence and model the supremacy of Jesus, particularly in the area of truth. Christianity is not simply one truth among many. I'm sitting having <clears throat> a lovely dinner with some friends last night, having a nice cigar and cognac and talking about, uh, to him, he's an intelligent sceptic and he's, he just sees us as one of many options on the list. Of just one of many variety of ideas that as a nice way to live. I'm trying to help him understand, no, it's the way. We've sat, sat there and I've said to him, we're playing a game of risk. And the odds of you, when you lose, you really lose. I said, oh, you might think I'm a fool for believing that there's a creator or a designer. But if I'm right, I'm really right. And if you're wrong, you're really wrong. The odds are not stacked in your favour. Because <laughs> if I'm wrong, and I'm not, then I won't be here and I won't know. But if I'm wrong, if, if you're wrong, you're going to have an eternity where you wish you chose to follow Jesus. And so we live within a world, and it says in Jesus, John 14, it says, He, Jesus, alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. 
so that he isn't a truth. He is the truth. Uh, What he brings, he doesn't bring advice. He brings good news. He brings a command. And from anyone else, we might think, no one else knows how to... If someone comes along commanding you, you're always going to question their motive. You're always going to wonder, where's that coming from? How does that serve you? You know, in the, you watch a good, good crime drama, you always ask, who's, who's the benefactor? Who gets the money or the power or the status? You think, okay, so who's, who's winning out of this relationship? You're t- you want me to do something. <laughs> but with Jesus, we know that he is good right the way down. That, that C.S. Lewis quote is wonderful, where he says, is he, is he safe? No. <laughs> And it talks about Aslan. Is Aslan safe? He says, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And so when you talk about safe, no, he's wildly and wonderfully ferocious because he jealously knows how to lead and protect his people. Is he safe? Is he tame? No, you can't tame Jesus, but he's good. So you know that he will wield his power beautifully. So this is good news. So we're going to dive into this passage in a minute, but let me just tee something up that's been said by John right at the very beginning. It's really important to understand who we're talking about when we talk about Jesus, because I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're sharing your faith with someone and yet they've never even heard of Jesus before. I've done Bible studies with Japanese students and they're like, who? Not even a frame of reference, not even a, I've heard that name no, just n- never heard the name. So you go, woo, we've got to go way back to give you some context and to try and explain the story. There's no canvas on which you're doing a few fine detail, extra touches. You, you're telling, you've got to tell the whole story. So when we look at what the Bible teaches about Jesus, the Bible teaches us about Jesus' personhood, that he is both human and divine, as you said. We've got a, we've got a human sitting on the throne because he came to earth and took on humanity to identify with us, to be our advocate, to be our intermediary, to be our one that intercedes for us, the one that is our substitute. He's the one who, by virtue of taking on humanity, means that he can bring all of us back in. So he is both human and divine, and it's crucial you understand and appreciate the two sides of his personhood. Because if you see Jesus as just human, and not divine or divine and not human, you get some tr- into some tremendous trouble that creates a distortion that either way isn't Christianity. Jesus is fully human and fully divine, and that really matters. And we have to hold that tension and, and live in it and believe it. But besides the two great things about his person, the Bible also teaches three things about his work. That he is prophet, priest, and king. These are three things that that he does, that that he's expressed. Everything he says and does fits into one of those basic categories. And understanding that whenever Jesus says or does anything and it fits into this is crucial. See, if you leave any of these three categories out, is he prophet, priest or king? Again, you create a distortion of the reality of Jesus is and what he has come to achieve. And that if you have that distortion, it becomes a poisonous way of seeing Jesus that is not healthy. So let me just say what that is. If he's as prophet, I mean he is revealer of truth. That he reveals God, reveals truth, and speaks and comes from God to to speak to us 
and to reveal truth and to command us into life. Because he's created us to know us and we fractured that relationship by our distrust immediately. Within three seconds, we're telling Jesus to get out the throne. We want to sit there because we want to define right and wrong. And so Jesus coming is revealing truth and saying, this is the will of God. This is the way to me. This is the way to the life that you were created for, the purpose you were made for. So that's prophet, revealer of truth. Secondly, he's a priest, which means he's a redeemer, a representation, a representative, which means he comes and stands in our place on our behalf before the Father. So if the prophet is from God to us, priest is from us to him. He functions in that way as our substitute who advocates on our behalf. Have you ever needed an advocate in a work situation or a family situation where someone's like, I'm going to speak for you. I'm going to be the one that's going to cross that divide. I'm going to, in a way, sh- now, this isn't quite, this is where the illustrations always fall down. He's not defending us against the Father, but he's a sense of speaking for us to the Father, an advocate interceding for us. He represents God, when he comes as prophet, as priest, he represents us to God, an advocate, atoning for our sins, bringing us back home because he's our redeemer. And then thirdly, he's our king. He commands us and we owe him our allegiance. He is the supreme authority in our lives. When he speaks, we're, we always do what Cyril and Emily were doing. Like you, you, it's a conversation. It's a friendship. It's he wants us to get there and he wants us to get there willingly. But there's a moment where you realise, I, I can't sit here and just wait until I know more, I, I know enough. Sometimes God will ask you to do something when you don't have the full picture, Amen. when you can't see the outcome, when the guarantee is not there. He just says, trust me, follow me, walk with me. And we're sitting there going, but I need to know the whole plan. I need to know it. And that's how my brain works all the time. What Cyril and Emily were jostling with, you go, my goodness, I'd have been doing that. I'd have been jostling. I'd have been wrestling with it. I'd been second guessing it. They took the right path because they know that God loves them and isn't offended by that questioning. But there is a truth that God as king is supreme. And so in the end, you go, well, I'm not going to assert myself over him. I submit to him, prophet, priest and king. And, it, and it's really important that we receive Jesus in his totality. We can't just have prophet Jesus or priestly Jesus or king Jesus. We can't just take him and go, well, I like that bit. And I really don't like that bit. No, we have him all or we don't have him at all. Amen. And so it really matters that we have it all because we, we don't get... It's like inviting... Uh, if I came to your house and you said, right, my, my, my middle name's Peter. He says, well, Peter can come, but Martin and Flood can stay outside. And you go, that doesn't work. Like, you have me or you don't have me. Like, Peter isn't coming through the door without Martin and Flood. And you can't go to Jesus and say, prophet can come in, priest and king, can you stay outside? So that really matters because in a society like ours, we really like the priestly Jesus. Like he's there on our behalf and he's advocating for us and he's atoning for our sins and he's the one. Oh, I'd like that one. I don't like it when he's profity and he tells me what, what the will of God is. Or the king who says, do as I say. 
But we need him in his totality. And it's so important that we get Jesus understood because we can't afford to have a distorted image of him because everything hangs on it. As it says at the end of this passage, that it's, he refers to the Abrahamic covenant that the nations will be blessed through this Christ. And so we need to we make it clear that it is not a way, a truth. He is the truth and the way. And that this is who he declares himself to be. And we don't get to redefine the terms. We don't get to invite Peter in and leave Martin and Flood out. We don't get to say, King, come in, but the other bits can stay out. We receive him in his totality. Uh, no, I won't, I won't dive in too deep. But it, 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 yeah, no, that's fine. I'll move on. So let's dive deeper into the significance of Jesus' as prophet. See, in various ways, this idea of Jesus' as prophet uh, is affirmed by liberal scholars, uh, by Muslim clerics, and by evangelicals alike. It's, it's affirmed. But what's the difference that we're talking about? You see, if you believe that Jesus is God incarnate in the only way to eternal life, as the New Testament teaches, then Jesus' stated as prophet status as prophet is fundamentally different from those of other religions. One way is to point out that Jesus, as some would say, Jesus isn't only a prophet, he's also priest and king, as we've said. <clears throat> but another way is to look at how scriptures reveal him as prophet. And in this approach, Jesus isn't a prophet in his own making, as liberal scholars would have him. Oh, he's a nice man who asserted himself was a noble man and a good man with good truths and it wasn't he lovely and probably the best of us or a prophet like other prophets as the Quran would present him he's a prophet like Moses and one whose ministry is like unlike any other Deuteronomy 18 15 to 22 that's the passage that's getting quoted by Peter in the Acts that we've just read but what does that mean to be a prophet like Moses and so let's look at Deuteronomy 18 it says in Deuteronomy 18, Moses makes a prediction. It says, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And it is to him you shall listen. We need to listen. When Moses died, he left behind a body of writing we call the Pentateuch. And sometime later, an editor added these inspired words to the end. It says this in Deuteronomy 34. And there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all the land, and for all of the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And so that as Deuteronomy closes, this anticipation of a prophet like Moses only grew. A sense of, well, who is this prophet? And Jesus, just as God gave Moses a vision of heaven that became a pattern for the tabernacle, we see that in Exodus 25, he also gave Moses a vision of the prophet who would lead Israel into a new exodus. And indeed, this is the pattern we find in Moses. He's not just a spokesperson for God as Aaron was for Moses, nor was he one who received dreams and visions 
from God like other prophets. Rather, Moses was a prophet who spoke with God face to face as a friend. And in this unique position, Moses is recognized as a deliverer, a covenant mediator, a priest and a ruler, a king. Moses' larger-than-life status as a prophet was designed by God as a template from which the other prophets would be measured. But of course, Jesus would do more than bring a message from God. He would bring God to his people and those people to God. This is why Jesus is in line with Moses as a prophet. And so it begs the question then, are you looking and listening for the prophet? Are we looking and listening for Jesus to speak to us? And for us to listen, as as Deuteronomy says and Acts says. See, the rest of the Old Testament details the role of the prophets in Israel. And the Lord says in Jeremiah 7, From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I've persistently sent my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet despite their ongoing ministries, none is called the prophet. He sends prophets but none is called the prophet, not until we get to John the Baptist and Jesus. See, John is the first prophet since Malachi, which raises several questions for the Pharisees. They come to him saying, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Because their anticipation has been building from Deuteronomy 34. Who is the prophet? Who's going to be the deliverer? Who's going to be the ruler? Who's going to be the mediator? They're waiting And John's answer is, Jesus, not I, is the one whom the law of Moses and the prophets wrote about. We see that in John 1. Indeed, according to the Samaritan woman, he is a prophet. And soon the people confess that in John 6, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And so it's really important we grasp who Jesus revealed himself to be and out of what line that out of the scriptures that we're, we're understanding, this prophecies were speaking about the coming of Jesus. See, through the manifold identity of Jesus, though it remained uncertain in his life, because even mum and brothers were like, still working it out. <laughs> There's a sense that even his siblings are still in debate. Is he, is he God or is he just... And nutty brother. (laughs) There's still a little bit of uncertainty until his death and resurrection and ascension. I'll add that in. It wasn't long before his followers saw him as the prophet like Moses, citing Deuteronomy 18. Because this is where we're at. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like like me from the brothers. See, Peter reveals the chief significance of Jesus' prophetic office. What is he doing as prophet? that only his word brings salvation. It's only through Jesus do we have salvation. So those who listen to him will be saved and those who don't, won't be. Jesus isn't just another prophet. He is the prophet. And his words offer life and invite people to follow him out of death and into life. We see later in 2 Peter, it talks about he isn't slow like others imagine slowness but his desire is that all will be saved and none would be lost he comes on a rescue mission to save all humanity his desire is that he would see all the world bend their knee in joyful submission to him as prophet priest and king 
tragically, it breaks his heart. We see it in Ezekiel 18. It takes no delight in the death of the wicked. But if they won't receive him, then they won't receive him, even though he's revealed himself. So appropriately, Luke identifies Jesus's new exodus when Jesus is seen speaking with Moses and Elijah. He refers to his departure, or in Greek, exodus is the word, the root word there, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. And in the same context, the father says to Peter, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And that last imperative identifies Jesus as the prophet like Moses, whose words must be heard, must be believed, must be obeyed if one wants to be saved. And so what does that mean for us as I close? This is the message for us today as Trinity Life, as he is establishing this young church plant, as he is establishing this group of missionaries that know what it is to be sent to Swindon for the good expansion of his kingdom to declare the good news, not to offer advice, but to declare good news as missionaries What does this mean? See, Jesus' words bring forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. It is the way to life. And we mustn't lose that fervency and that conviction that it matters ultimately. Because if if we just walk people to the gates of hell and they've had a nice journey along the way, we've not been a faithful friend. A faithful friend will tell them, about the ultimate decision that needs to be made. Now it matters how we do it and how we love them and how we serve them. But it's so important we have those conversations, that we love our friends enough to know this matters. In fact, you were made to know Jesus. And in fact, life and its fullness is found in him. And everything you're looking for in a, in a truthless age where they are trying to find moral superiority by being always right. (laughs) Uh, When you you go on social media for five minutes, you just realise everyone's just always preaching about something. Uh, And they're always cancelling another thing. And they're always establishing themselves. And they're always decrying something else. They're looking for moral rightness. Whether it's you don't recycle enough, so you don't love the planet. Or you eat meat, so you can't love the planet. There's a way in which we other people so easily in society. In a way in which people are looking to establish themselves as having purpose and meaning and happiness and joy. Those are valid desires being created by God. Wrongly executed, wrongly directed. Directed in a way that will not bring them the life and the fruitfulness. Uh, Old comedian now, I I grew up on him and lots of my comedy uh, humour is developed by him, Jim Carrey. Uh, He says, I hope everyone gets everything they've ever hoped for because then they'll realise their hopes and dreams weren't found in that. This is a millionaire who's been able to test it all. You talk to Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes. Life is vapour. And that's the man who is the richest, who's had as more of the 
luxuries and the pleasures of this world, in all of it, and I mean all of it, has tasted and seen and in the end would say, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. All he's saying is, Jim Carrey's just saying, you could, I wish everyone would try that, they would have it, so they'd stop chasing it because they would realise life and fullness isn't found in the pursuit of those things. It's about being reconnected to your creator who knows you and loves you. And he will invite you into some radical moments of obedience to cross the threshold of pain, whether that's to have that conversation, whether it's to uh, speak clearly in, a, in, a, in the context of influence that you've been given, whether it's to actually sense, I feel God saying I should move or I should be leading a church or like these guys going, I'm going to give a perfectly good job, retrain as a plumber, move across country with a brand new baby because I'm following Jesus. And you go, on paper, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense for a lot of us if you just lay it out that way. But when you know you're following the one, then it makes every bit of sense. And as they testify to, God is absolutely wonderful and able to walk with us. And so he might be asking you to acts of obedience because he is the greater one. So Jesus is the prophet who... <clears throat> calls us to follow him from death to life. Just as Israel followed Moses through the Red Sea and was baptised in his name. And yet he's greater than Moses because his salvation does more than just point to another. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And today his words still offer life to all that listen. And so this isn't a refuge from the world. This is a rescue mission to the world. Yes. That's fundamentally different. We're not, we're not cowering in fear that the world might infect us. No, when Jesus goes and he puts his hands on the, on the broken and the sick and the sinful, he heals them. Impurity doesn't infect him. His purity redeems them. And it's an extension of his people where he says, you will do these things and so much more. As we, his holy people, filled with his Holy Spirit, go out, we bring life. So we don't need to be on the back foot. We don't need to be terrified as to how bonkers the social setting out there, the, all the ideologies and the, everything that seems to be changing and swirling and looks so confusing at times. We don't actually have to be worried by that because we know we're following the one and we are here to serve this town, to love this town, to point to Jesus, to be an invitation. And so we go to bring them life. This isn't a refuge from them. We go to them. So as Luke 9, 35 says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. So let's stand together. Jesus is prophet, priest and king. If you can stand, please stand. Prophet, priest and king. Prophet, revealer of truth. The revealer of God himself. Priest, redeemer and representative. Which means he comes and stands in our place on our behalf as an advocate before the Father. And king who commands us and who, to whom we owe our allegiance. And so let's, Trinity Life, hold that all together. And truly bow the knee to Jesus Lord, receiving him as he totally is. And Lord, I just pray wherever 
that challenges some of our perception of who you are or who we want you to be because we're so guilty of making you in our image, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would realign us, Amen. kindly convict us and lead us to a greater clarity about who you are and a joyful way of following you. Lord, I pray you would empower us to know that we are your missionaries in this town, in this time, to do what you've been doing. It's just to bring good news and invite those that are wayward to come home. And so, Lord, I just pray as we worship, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you provoke us? And as a community, would we support each other to make that call and make that decision together? Amen. Amen.